It's good to see so many people here on a long weekend, actually, middle week of the school holidays, so nice to see everyone at church. Um, so for the past few months, we've been spending time in the book of First Peter, and we've been looking at the topic of Christian life in a non-Christian culture. And today, we'll actually be wrapping up that series, and we'll be in the um, chapter 5, looking at the last few verses. So hopefully this is working. Let's have a look. There we go. Excellent. All right, so you can see the passage on the screen. And as I read through this passage, I find that my attention keeps getting arrested by those first couple of verses, where Peter really provides quite a solemn and somewhat disturbing warning. So it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So we can see from these first few verses that we have an enemy who is intent upon our destruction. We can see that the devil is not passively sitting back, but he's actively opposed to us following our faith in Jesus. He's on the prowl. He's looking for someone to devour. And so it's interesting that Peter uses this analogy of a lion when talking about the devil. And so I thought I'd do a little bit of research about lions and how they hunt. So I visited Google, had a look on the internet, and there's a few things that stood out to me about what lions do when they're hunting. Firstly, When lions hunt, for the most part, they will go after the easier prey because it gives them a higher chance of success. So if they have a choice between a bigger, stronger animal and a weaker, smaller specimen, generally they're going to go after the smaller one. Secondly, lions often hunt together and they will seek to isolate their prey by surrounding it. So the easiest targets to isolate are those animals that are already on their own or that are on the outskirts or that have wandered off from the herd. And thirdly, lions often stalk their prey, trying to get as close as possible without being detected because the element of surprise is important because if their intended victim sees them coming, again, it diminishes the likelihood of success. So as I reflected on these behaviours I can see that there's some definite parallels between how lions hunt and how the devil operates when he's attacking us. And these parallels can provide us with some insights into how we, as Peter urges, as Christians, can resist him and avoid falling prey to his attacks. So firstly, if the weak more easily fall prey to the enemy, then we need to intentionally be taking care of ourselves, ensuring that we are strong and healthy people. Secondly, if the isolated and those on the fringes make for easy prey, 
then we need to protect ourselves by building strong relationships in the body of Christ. And thirdly, since the devil, like a lion, tries to catch us off guard with his attacks, we need to remain vigilant and alert, particularly in those areas of our vulnerabilities. So this morning, I just want to unpack each of these three in a little bit more detail. So the first one, if it's the weak who are the easiest targets, then we need to intentionally take care of ourselves, ensuring that we're strong and healthy people. So I would argue that to resist the devil and stand firm in our faith, we need to be strong in more than just the spiritual areas of our life. That's, that's obviously really important and key. But it's difficult to stand firm when major areas of our life are out of balance. So, for example, if our significant relationships are breaking down or if we're not physically looking after ourselves or if we're not emotionally or mentally in a good place, we're definitely more vulnerable. So, therefore, we need to take a holistic approach to remaining strong and healthy. And if we're going to do that then we actually need to choose to live a life of intentionality. Because if we don't, by default, we will live a life of reaction and conformity, and basically our lives just get out of balance. Hit it again. Okay, so Wayne Cadero says this, living an intentional life includes consistent monitoring and assessment. Entropy or the gradual decline back into a mediocre lifestyle defined by habit and reaction is natural. In other words, good living doesn't just happen. We have to plan for it. And then we've got to conduct regular health checks to ensure that things haven't drifted out of alignment. It actually takes work. So, and this is an important point, it doesn't matter what stage of life that you're in, whether you're in school or whether you're working or retired, it's really important for our well-being that we continue to set life goals. So, um, if we're going to consistently monitor and assess our lives, as Wayne says here, firstly, you need to know what you're aiming for. In other words, you have to establish what does good look like in each of the key areas of your life. And the most powerful way to set and achieve goals in life is to, anybody? If we want to set goals, we want to achieve goals, what's one of the most powerful things we can do? Write it down. You've probably heard that said a few times by different people. So I was doing some research on this topic and I came across an interesting study by Dr. Gail Matthews and she's a psychology professor at the Dominican University in California, and her study found that you become 42% more likely to achieve your goals and dreams simply by writing them down on a regular basis. Now, this next part I think is really interesting is what her research also showed is that the likelihood of transforming your desires into reality increases even more to 78% if you share your written goals with a friend who believes in your ability to succeed. And she calls that person a partner in believing. Now, 
that concept, I think, is probably one of the reasons why life coaching and mentoring are such powerful ways of bringing about sustainable change in people's lives. You set goals, you share them with somebody who is your partner in believing, and they help support you on that journey. Um, In her research, Dr. Matthews also had... um, She explained some of the science behind this as well. And I'm not going to kind of go into it in detail, but in simplified terms, if you just think about one of your goals and dreams, you're only using the right hemisphere of your brain, which is your imaginative centre. But if you think about something you desire, and then you write it down, you also tap into the power of your logic-based left hemisphere. And when you do that, you send your consciousness and your body a message that says, I really want this, and I'm serious about it. So there is a science behind it. So if you're interested in doing something like this and setting goals, here's an exercise that you could do, and something that I've done in my life before. Over the next couple of weeks, put aside a couple of hours where you've got time and space to pray and to think. And then write down all the key areas of your life that are important, the things that really make a difference. So these might be your faith, life, your marriage, if, if you have a partner, um, your work life, social life, your finances, your ministry life, all those areas that are key. And then for each of those areas, write down a statement that really embodies what living your best life looks like. How do I want it to be? Not necessarily how it is now, but how do I aspire for it to be? And then once you've done that, think about maybe two or three key actions, habits, behaviours that you can actually routinely engage in that are going to help you on that journey to achieve that aspiration, making sure that they're realistic, obviously, achievable, sustainable, things that you can do on a regular basis. And then better still, when you've done that, find someone who you really respect and someone who you trust and someone who you can share those goals with and who could be your partner in believing. All right, so that was my first point. Second point, if the devil seeks to target those who are easily isolated, then we need to protect ourselves by building strong relationships in the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we live in the world, but we're not of this world. However, it's not easy to live in the world without being influenced by its beliefs and values. And that's because essentially, we become like the people and the culture in which we immerse ourselves. So um, in Romans chapter excuse me, verse 2. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. So I think the best way to combat the influence of the world's culture in our life is to surround ourselves with people who share our faith, our values and our beliefs. And it's these relationships that will form the support network so that we don't drift away from our faith. So we were made to be in relationship. 
So whether you consider yourself to be an extrovert or an introvert, this is an area that we really need to invest in and that we need to nurture in our lives. So in this area of relationships in the body of Christ, I think there's three kind of key pillars, I suppose, that underpin this. First one is Christian fellowship. So gathering together with other believers in, in fellowship, it's important. You know, and we can do that like we are this morning at a Sunday service or other church events, which is great. Even better is to get involved in a small group, which helps facilitate that deeper level of relationship where we can be known, supported, and loved. Hebrews um, chapter 10 Stop there. Says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So the fundamental benefit of fellowship is encouragement. And that's something we all need. The act of encouragement is to give someone support, confidence, and hope on their life journey. And that's, they're all essential ingredients that we need if we're going to stand firm in our faith. So the second pillar in these relationships, going a little deeper, spiritual friendships. You know, I think we all need at least one or two people in our lives who we can call a close friend, someone that we can go deeper with. And these are the people that are going to help us go through the hard times in life. They're going to encourage us when we're down. And they're going to challenge us and inspire us to be better people. And now I know that maintaining, developing close friendships, it's a lot easier said than it is done. And I think this is particularly true of us men. You know, in the church, we tend to be more isolated. I think women are better at this. We all live busy lives, we've got a lot going on, but it's an area that for the sake of our personal health and well-being and for our faith, I really believe that we need to make it a priority. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, said this, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. Then Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, A sweet friendship refreshes the soul. Now, I was doing a little bit of research on friendships, and there's actually some really interesting studies that have been done on this um, that support this biblical principle where these relationships refresh the soul. Um, and keep our minds and bodies strong. There was a, a Harvard study that was done just recently that concluded that having solid friendships actually help promote brain health by helping us deal with stress, make better lifestyle choices, uh, and keep us strong. And also that they help us rebound from health issues and disease more quickly. Interesting. Another study concluded that spending time with positive friends actually changes our outlook for the better. And that's a really important point because 
We need to choose our friends wisely because they will rub off on us. So we need to choose friends who we respect, who we admire, and who are healthy for us to be around. In Proverbs chapter 13, it says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And then in verse, oh, sorry, chapter 27, verse 17, You use steel to sharpen steel, and one friend sharpens another. Now, there's one last study that I came across, and I thought this one was really interesting. There was a, uh, researchers studied a group of students at the University of Virginia. And what they did was they took them to the base of a steep hill and then they fitted them with weighted backpacks. And then they asked them to actually estimate the steepness of the hill just by looking at it. So some of the participants stood next to friends during the exercise while others were actually standing on their own. Now, the students who stood with friends gave lower estimates of the steepness of the hill. And the longer that the friends had known each other, the less steep the hill appeared to be. Interesting, isn't it? I think that's a great analogy for life. When we have close friends supporting us and standing with us, the challenges of life seem less daunting and our burden seems lighter because where our close friends are right there to support us. All right, so going deeper again with this relationship. Spiritual accountability, third pillar. So having those deep spiritual friendships, um, they're powerful in helping us remain strong, healthy, and happy, right? However, if we want to grow spiritually and truly stand firm against the devil, then I, need, I really believe we need to engage in this area of spiritual accountability. And it, it requires that we be authentic and honest about our lives with at least one other person. And that isn't easy, is it? Because it means making ourselves vulnerable, sharing our hopes, our goals, our dreams, and being honest and transparent about our struggles and our vulnerabilities. So this is countercultural, isn't it? In a world where we spend so much time on appearance management. We want to look as if we've got everything going well, everything's great, but on the inside we may be really struggling with all kinds of personal problems or personal failings. So this discipline, if you like, of spiritual accountability, it can be really powerful. It can be freeing, but it requires finding someone who you can trust, someone who's confidential, someone who is wise in the Lord, and someone who can support you in prayer. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, Make this your common practice. In other words, do this regularly. Make this a part of your routine. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Okay, so spiritual accountability, it's very much focused on our spiritual growth, but confessing our sins to each other is also a really powerful component that helps us live those whole and healed lives. Now, if you're looking for spiritual accountability in your life, 
Something that I can highly recommend and something that I avoided for years and years and years is um, forming a prayer triplet. Okay, find two trusted friends in the church who you can get together with and who you can be vulnerable with, who you can be honest with, and who you can pray with together. And it's, for me, it's just been an absolute blessing. I really recommend it. All right, so that was, the, that was the second point. If we want to protect ourselves, we can't be isolated. We need to be integrated into the body of Christ. So the third point. Since the devil tries to catch us off guard with his attacks, we need to remain vigilant and alert, particularly in those areas of our vulnerabilities. And Peter himself said it, be alert and of sober mind. And so I was looking in the um, dictionary about the, the meaning and the definition for alert as an adjective, quick to notice any unusual and potentially dangerous or difficult circumstances. And as the noun, the state of being watchful for possible danger. So Peter is warning us to be on the lookout for potential danger so that we can spot the enemy, we can see his intention, and we can take action before it's too late. So we all have weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And these are the areas that we firstly need to be aware of in ourselves and that we need to be particularly vigilant about. Thomas Akempis said this, A good devout person first arranges inwardly the things to be done outwardly. Who has a fiercer struggle than the person who strives to master himself? And this must be our occupation, to strive to master ourselves and daily grow stronger and advance for good. And then Erwin McManus says something similar, but in more simple terms, to live in the light, you must face your inner darkness. Your external battles are won or lost in your inner world. So something we need to remember when we're facing our enemy is that first and foremostly, the battle is a spiritual one. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we can see here that the devil is a schemer. He's clever, he's strategic, and he employs deceit as his primary weapon. The devil is a liar. And Jesus himself said about the devil, when he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. So the devil tells us things about ourselves, about other people, and about our circumstances that aren't true. He plays upon our insecurities, our weaknesses, and our fears. So the battlefield in which this spiritual battle takes place, as Erwin McManus was saying, it's in our inner world. It's largely in our mind. And Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so does he become. So the devil knows that if he can get us to think falsely about ourselves, about God, about our circumstances, then he can keep us from living in that freedom 
which Christ intended for us. So the mind, the mind is the leader and the forerunner of all our actions. Our actions are the direct result of our thoughts. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Therefore, if we want to live a life filled with peace, we need to take control of our thought life and ensure that it lines up with God's Word. Because the devil is trying to set up strongholds of false narratives in our thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this spiritual battle, which takes place in our mind, The most powerful weapon that we have in our arsenal is the Word of God to fight against the devil's lies and schemes. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So Jesus himself, when he was tested in the, dev- in the desert by the devil, he resisted him. He was proclaiming scripture. He didn't get into lengthy dialogue and discussion with the devil. He used God's word to shut down the conversation before it even began. So if we want to remain alert and vigilant, we need to keep our minds focused on things above and we need to remind ourselves of God's truth. And there is no easy pill that we can take one time that's going to do that for us. We need to daily make that decision to align our thinking with God's word, which means we need to be reflecting upon God's word. We need to be praying over God's word. We need to be reading God's word on a regular basis. So, you know, what I would recommend in those areas of your life where you do struggle, where you are vulnerable, if it's fear or doubt or worry or whatever it is, find some powerful scriptures and promises that really encourage you. Reflect upon them regularly. Commit them to memory. Pray over them. Read them. Another powerful exercise, I think, is to reflect upon scriptures that affirm your identity in Christ. And Kev preached a really powerful message about this, uh, I think, a couple of months ago now. And it's also the topic of our most recent retreats, identity. You know, having a right understanding of our identity will help bust and break those false narratives that we have about ourselves. All right, so to wrap up, coming to a conclusion. In case you fell asleep for the first 20 so minutes or whatever, this is it. If we want to be able to successfully resist the devil and stand firm in the faith, there's a few things that we can do to help with that. One, we want to stay strong and healthy. 
which requires that we take that holistic approach, intentional, planful, to taking care of those key areas of our life. Number two, if we want to protect ourselves, we need to take, um, we need to make our relationships a high priority by engaging in Christian fellowship, maintaining, developing strong spiritual friendships and establishing spiritual accountability. So together we are stronger. And the third one, we need to stay alert and vigilant to the devil's schemes and attacks, particularly in those areas that we've got vulnerabilities. We need to be mindful of focusing our thoughts on God's word and aligning our thoughts with the word of God. Thank you.